Geek Top 5 Quarantine Edition. Yay! It was time now. There was was all the time I needed. And we're back for another Geektastic episode. I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And this week we've got another set of dueling lists. Uh, sort of a, I guess, a spiritual successor or follow-up to an earlier episode, our Top 5 Enterprises list. If you haven't listened to that one yet, go back and check it out. But it was pointed out to us that when it comes to things like Star Trek, the Federation, the Starfleet, the, you know, the Earth ships tend to get a lot of favoritism. I mean, and sure enough, there are a lot of Starfleet designs. Um, and it was pointed out that, hey, maybe it'd be, you know, it's only fair to open up that circle a bit. So today we are each bringing a list of our top five alien ship designs from Star Trek. And I think this is going to be the first time that our lists match up completely and it's going to be a very friendly discussion and uh, no tears will be shed. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll <laughs> see. All right, well, no need for pregame banter. Uh, let's just uh, get to the first period. Graham, what is your number five? My number five was a last-minute change on my list because uh, maybe we'll do the honorable mentions at the end, but my original number five, I realize, doesn't quite qualify. So the new number five that I've got here is the sarcophagus ship from Star Trek Discovery. Ah, interesting choice. Not on my list. Okay. Uh, very recent, but here, please, tell us about this. So, in the very early goings, I think the first couple of episodes of Star Trek Discovery, they encounter the Klingons for the first time in a long time, and they're aboard this this thing called the Sarcophagus Ship, and it's a giant ship. It barely even registers as a ship, because it's covered in the dead bodies of Klingons. It's sort of, the design of it is kind of traditional spaceship look where there's a, a thin body with two engines that branch off from the side and then there's a little neck and a big head but it's the, sh- the scale of it that's very impressive and the the cool story idea of having these these dead bodies in coffins strapped to the ship to make it there's a big symbolism with that it's like strapping your your pirate ship with the bodies of your enemies and it's uh, it was a neat idea and I don't know that it was originally going to make my list, but the more I thought about it, the more I appreciated how unique it was. And uh, it just, the the rest of the ship looks like it's kind of falling apart. It's almost got a ghost ship quality, but just huge. And uh, and that's why it makes my, my number five. Fair enough. Did they, um, I don't recall if they specifically got into that. Was the dead bodies thing like a ooh, scary kind of thing? Or was it more of like an honoring the dead kind of deal? I think it's an honoring the dead kind of deal because that's that's very Klingon and keeping your your family close and your friends close and that sort of thing and helping you in battle. They're there to help protect the ship, and uh, it's a neat idea. and And I think we've d- talked about it in previous episodes, but Discovery hasn't been our favorite show. But there's buried within that show are some neat concepts that that get used in an interesting way and and I think as much as we didn't like the Klingon redesign of how they look and how their ships looked based on what has come before in, in previous Star Trek iterations I think we can appreciate the new ideas and this is an idea that doesn't violate anything that we know about the Klingons from the other shows and I think works well in the, that context works well in the context of what we know it does seem appropriate given the whole honor and battle and that sort of thing um, and it's and it's an interesting way to look at it. It's not just the design of the ship; it's also the execution, what it's used for, and just that it's 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 big and scary and creepy. I, I like your description of it being a ghost ship. The idea of giving it that. Hmm. Now, to be fair, that ship doesn't get the best like like story wise. The best things in the world don't happen to it, right? Like they end up stranded on there. They're like cannibalizing the like, right. Uh, I mean, what's her name? <laughs> it's a. Uh, I think if you call something the sarcophagus ship, you're you're asking for trouble right out of the gate, <laughs> right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I, so you know, would I want to serve on that ship? No. But do I enjoy the stories about that ship? Yeah, I think they were neat. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that's that, that, that's fair. Well, then I guess that's a good uh, so it's a good segue talking about how it's not just the the form; it's also the function. At least that's a good way to talk into my number five. 
Um, this one might be a bit of a deeper pull. It's probably the only weirdo on my list. Uh, for my number five, I chose the Krenim Time Ship, or okay. Krenim Weapon Ship from Star Trek Voyager. Um, Didn't make my list. I, I, I gathered. This one, this one might be the only weird choice. I have a soft spot for the design of this thing. Like you, though, it's not just the design. It's also what it's used for. The design, I think, is cool. It's like the, the hull sections of, the, of this ship, like what we normally consider the place where you live, are just these two spheres connected by a little bridge at the middle. And in the back, it's got this cool claw-looking shape for the engines. And at the front, it's got a huge claw. It looks like it's sort of like a like tented fingers holding a little ring. Uh, to give it like a really cool, intimidating nose, but also the sense of it, a big gun, because that's kind of what it is. And in concept, I really liked the idea for this ship as well. So this this ship is basically like engine strapped to this giant sci-fi weapon that sh- I mean, they, they don't go too much into the techno babble, but it shoots you with like a time beam, and whatever it shoots is erased from history. And we get introduced to this ship where it like fires its time weapon like at a planet like a Death Star, but instead of blowing the planet up, it just everything on that planet never existed. It was never there, and time is forever changed. That's that's such a cool concept, and and the fact that it it fi- changes things in the past, the present, the future, everything about what it eliminates is just gone. It's it's worse than death. It's that it never existed. No one has a memory of it. That's it's pretty terrifying yeah and then that's like you know and then those are the lucky ones right because the crew of this ship are like removed from time kind of and what happens is we have a couple voyager characters end up captured and living on the ship like all good voyager episodes it doesn't take place on voyager um (laughs) and they're on there and they find out like this crew has been doing this for they literally don't know how long because they've been removed from time and they're essentially immortal and the captain of this ship is basically, he's trying to restore his species' empire to prominence. And more importantly, he's sort of, he, like, one of the first things he did with this ship, like, helped his species out, but he lost his wife. And he's constantly trying to find a way to, like, bring everything back and also restore his wife. And they have been at this for so long that they can't keep track of time anymore. Hey, that sounds familiar. <laughs> and, uh, and it's, you know, morale is not high, <laughs> put it that way. So, I like the ship. I mean, I do like the design. It's got this, like, gray and purple highlight to it that makes it look pretty alien. The Like, the, the simple shapes, the way they come together, is done in a very traditional Star Trek way, but still in a way that makes it look really alien. Um, and I really like the storyline, and I really like the, like, like the function of this ship. It's an interesting thing. And especially in later Star Trek, it doesn't always get as sci-fi as it used to, and frankly, especially in Voyager. But this was a really cool concept. Only slightly, slightly had the carpet pulled out under it that the captain of the time ship was the dad from that 70s show. Um, and just he's just typecast into that role. But besides that, cool shit. So it recently came out in an interview or something that this this two-episode arc was pitched as a whole season-long arc. Uh, I know this is, doesn't really factor into the ship conversation very much, but how cool would that have been to do a whole season on this? I don't know. I think they, I mean, I think a couple hours was enough to, to cover it. Okay, but, fair uh, enough. But, uh, but it was a dramatic and it was something different to do with the show, which was already getting very stale by that point. So yeah, the Krenim Time Weapon Ship for my number five. Uh, back over to you. What's your number four? Going with a classic, perhaps the the most classic that we could have on this list. I'm going to go with the Klingon D7. Oh, that is on my list. It's further up. Um, so we're going to have to hang on to that. You want to give a quick overview and we'll move on? Uh, well, all I'll say is that I doubt there's going to be much original series stuff on this because so much original series ship design is just glowy lights and it's really dry and this is one of the few this is one of the few ships that we really get to see even though it's only in three episodes uh, at least in the original run they added it to a fourth in the remastered edition but uh yeah it's it's a very cool design and i wish we had seen more of it in the original series let's let's move on to your number four yeah we'll get back to it my number four um might also be on your list. Let's see. Also a Klingon ship. My number four was the Negvar. 
the the 24th century sort of future Klingon warship. Did you have Not that? Not on mine. Well, damn. That is a cool <laughs> ship. Sure. Go. You tell us why you like it, and I'll tell you why I, it missed my list. Yeah. So the Negvar is, is it comes across as like the cool new Klingon hotness. Like you know the species that like they're the war guys. The Klingons are the guys to fight, and they've made this cool new spaceship. It's it sort of follows traditional Klingon ship design, where it has sort of a long neck with a bridge at the front. And then comes into a wider sweep at the back, but it's bigger and bulkier. They've pulled the nacelles in to the side, so it looks like it has a more sort of unified body. And it's covered in greeblies to make it look interesting. That's a, that's a real word, by the way. I didn't make that up. Gr- <laughs> what greeblies. does it mean? It means, like, just random stuff you put on <laughs> something to make it look more interesting. Very, like, very Star Wars. The Star very Wars Star Wars are covered in greeblies. Greeblies. <laughs> So the Negavar is cool, I mean, for a couple of reasons. It has a cool history. The first time we see it is in the season finale of Next Generation in a proposed, like, alternate future, where they built this model to design it for, like, well, it's the future. The Klingons must have a new ship. Let's go with this. And then later in Deep Space Nine, in Way of the Warrior, they bring it back and be like, okay, this is where it came from. And there's little changes to the model. Um, the one in All Good Things, the Next Generation, would have this antenna at the front and looked a little goofy. And the scale is way off, but that's something Star Trek does. The ships are never, they don't go to that much effort to make sure everything's sized each other right. Um, but you see it across the different series, and it gives it a kind of consistency. Like, it feels like something that belongs in the universe, because we've seen it at different points. It makes sense when we see it. Uh, when it first appears at the Deep Space Nine episode, that's the two-parter Way of the Warrior, which ends with the last like the last big space battle scene that Star Trek does with actual models, which is a joy to watch. Um, and the Negvar, they really show off how powerful it is. Like It's got these underslung super disruptors that blow through Deep Space Nine shields and blow up the shield generators. Like It's sort of the, the ultimate ultra badass. Uh, not as quick and maneuverable as some of the other stuff they're known for, but it's sort of the Klingon dreadnought, and that really appeals to me. Why did it not make your list? I, I'm sure we'll be hearing more about Dreadnoughts as your list goes on. Uh, I It didn't make my list because, to me, it's not as iconic as some of the others. And I don't like the stubbiness of its wings. It, it looks like a, a bat without any fur or skin. It just looks like a weird bat skeleton and doesn't really <laughs> do it for me. I don't know what else to tell you. It's it's. I appreciate that it's supposed to be the ultra powerful Klingon ship, but aesthetically, it doesn't stand out for me in a design way. Like it doesn't. It's not unique. You know what? I I can go with you on that one. When I think Star Trek ships, it's not the first one that comes to mind for me, or the second or the third, um, which is why I it's mean, number even, four. Yeah, list. even beyond Star Trek ships, it's it's not. As, a, as far as a Klingon ship, it doesn't rank very high for me, mm. as we'll see. I, I, I suppose as we will. <laughs> All right. Uh, so what's your what's your number three? So my number three is the Romulan Warbird, and uh, okay, yeah, and, and that's also on my list. So okay, have, but not at number three. <laughs> so so we will uh, we'll hold tight on that one then. All right. This is going to be a weird... There's going to be a lot of arguing at the top of this list. <laughs> What's your number three? My number three is the Borg Cube. That's... Oh, you are not kidding. There's going to be a lot of arguing. Uh, that is higher on my list as well. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, then let's, let's keep pushing it forward. Okay. Uh, What's your number two? The Klingon Bird of Prey. Not on my list. What? Not on my list. I will I will offer my counter-arguments, but please, tell us about the Klingon Bird of Prey. So the Klingon Bird of Prey is perhaps the most iconic of the Star Trek alien ships. It's, it, it's just, it's got this cool look. It's got these swooping wings that go down and end in blasters. It's got this big, bulky middle section for the crew quarters and engineering and everything. Then a long, thin neck, and then a head at the front that has a big torpedo bay right where a mouth would be. It's it's the definition. It's It, it matches its name. It looks like a bird of prey. And it also... It, it's just 
cool and it's been around I, I from the moment it was introduced i think in star trek 3 it was already yeah. described as out of date and underpowered and yet we see it throughout the rest of the series it's used th- this might also help the one that we see in star trek 3 gets captured by the crew of the enterprise and they end up using that for star trek 4 and i love star trek 4 to death and having that be <laughs> the home base of kirk and spock and bones and all of them is really a nice touch. Uh, it, when I was playing my Star Trek Timelines game, it was a red letter day in my house when I uh, when I, I got that ship. Uh, it's just it's cool. I just love the the sh- whenever there's a shot of the bird of prey and the you it's the underside of it and you see that gaping torpedo hole maw and it shoots out. I love the the that the interior design matches it, which isn't always the case in Star Trek, but there's the bridge where everyone's sitting, and then you have to go down a long tunnel that would be the neck to get to the back of the ship. It's it's cool. It's it's. I don't know how to, what else to say. I feel like I've said it's cool a hundred times. I don't know how else to describe it. It's just a very intimidating ship as soon as you see it. Gul Dukat gets one in Deep Space Nine, and he made our list of Star Trek villains ages ago, and, and to have one of the best villains on one of the best villain ships, and, ah, so good. So many cool stories around it. See, Ed, like, God, I feel so differently about it. It's, <laughs> like, you started off by saying it's one of the most iconic Star Trek ships. I disagree completely. I think it does, like, a lot of the Star Trek ships follow a pattern that it doesn't. Um, there's sort of like the, 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 I'm thinking of the Constitution class, like the classic Enterprise. Like that shape gets used a lot, and the bird of prey isn't it. Um, I mean, certainly we see the bird of prey a lot, and it's always kind of like, oh, it's just a bird of prey. And, and Deep Space Nine, which has like the best ship stuff, gets around that by saying, well, it's, it's, it's like a TIE fighter, right? It's a small swarm ship. You have lots of birds of prey, and that's cool. But most of the time... I mean, I, I, for, I mean, I disagree. I really don't like the design. You talk about like, yeah, they talk about how it's dated and it looks dated. Like the way the the wings are connected to the hull, like you can almost see the gears on it. It always looks kind of beaten up. That the the nose like torpedo you talk about, it's designed in a way that like, yeah, when you're looking at it from the bottom, like it it, it looks like it's sort of a nose mounted thing. But when you see the ship from any other angle. Its head looks like, I mean, and folks, you listen at home, you got to Google image search this, but uh, but like it looks like it has an overbite, kind of, or an underbite. Like it has this underslung jaw that swoops forward, like, like that's the part with the torpedo on it, and on the top it just has this squinty little head. And it's like, I just, it looks goofy to me. Um, I... I like. I do think it's a cool shot when it sort of does the swooping thing, but they don't even do that all the time. This is, I mean, this is a casualty of Next Generation being filmed in the '90s. Like in the Star Trek movies, like you know, from Star Trek Three on, you see this thing and you you get the impression it's sort of quick and agile. But then, like when the Enterprise D fights Bird of Praise, like for one thing, t- way way different sizes, right? And hardcore Star Trek fans will get around this by saying, oh, well, there's more than one class of Klingon Bird of Prey. A lot of time we're seeing the Burrell Bird of Prey, which is the smaller ship, but there's also the Kevort Bird of Prey, which is the larger one. It's just like, no, man, they were just filming the models and they didn't give a hump. Uh, (laughs) Yesterday's Enterprise is a great example because we see these Klingon Birds of Prey that are like the size of the Enterprise D, and they're doing That's the, not a good example, though. It's a different timeline. It's still the same ship, though. It's demonstrably, it hasn't changed <laughs> at all. It's just in this timeline, it's bigger, I guess, and isn't yeah. fast, and yeah. doesn't swoop. Yeah. <laughs> it's just... And, and I mean, so I don't like that. I don't like that it's not used consistently. I don't like that they reuse it too much. Like, they're the same... Sh- like, there's a shot of the bird of prey where it's flying from the left side, like, like from the audience point of view, from the left side of the screen to the right side of the screen, and it cloaks. And we see that same shot used like four different times. It's an, I know it's an undiscovered country and in generations. Well, but the other I, thing about that is when it gets destroyed, it's always the same shot from, from undiscovered country, right? Yeah, they just reuse it over and over and over again. I mean, it's like, 
I mean, to be fair, I, I'm building this up a little to show why it's not on my list. I do think it's an, like I'm not, I don't hate that chip, but I do hate how often I see it over and over again. The same thing. It just it seems so lazy, and it doesn't suit. I find like no none, no other ships in Star Trek are really like that until we get to the Defiant in Deep Space Nine, which is one of my favorite Star Trek ships. But until then, it's sort of the odd man out. It's like, it's not how ships work in that world. I would argue that it makes sense for Klingons, especially Klingons that aren't especially affiliated with the the Klingon fleet, where they can do marauder stuff with them. Just fly in, ransack a place, and leave like a Viking ship, right? Like, it's it's quick, it goes in, does its damage, and, and gets out. It's also... it's. I, I think probably to save money, it's been used a lot, but because it's been used a lot, it's there's so many iconic moments with it, you know, that I talked about Star Trek 3 and 4, it's also the ship that almost uh, destroys any chance of peace with between Klingons and Federation in it, Star Trek yeah, 6. Yeah, it's the big bad guy in Star Trek 6. It takes, but even then, is that cool because it's a bird of prey, or is it cool because it's a magic bird of prey that can fire while cloaked? <laughs> I think it's... It's cool because it's a bird of prey that's used in a scene and a storyline that we love and is important. I think that adds to the cachet of the ship. I mean, I don't want to discount General Chang's bird of prey, which can <laughs> yeah, fire. Better, I, I, I used to know the name. I don't, I don't have it off the top of my head. I don't know if it was ever canon. It comes from the Klingon Academy games. Um, but yeah, that one in particular is cool and it suits the ship, like he's using it in a sneaky way, right? It's not a straight-up one-on-one fighter. It's got, like, a clever thing that he's doing with it. I don't know if that... Like, I think a lot of that is owed to Christopher Plummer um, more than it's owed to the design of the ship, though. I think his performance helps sell it, and the ship is incidental. I mean, and that's another thing we didn't even like get into. Like, the reason it's called a bird of prey is because in the original script, it was supposed to be a Romulan ship, like, Romulans had Bird of Praise before the Klingons right. did, and they just had to retro, like, re- like retcon the whole thing. Because yeah. Because they made that change in Star Trek Three at the last minute and didn't catch the writers up on it. Well, yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff like that. Like, the, there's when we get to the D7, there's a D7 used by the Romulans in one episode. Of the three episodes it appears, in one of them, it's a Romulan ship. So there's, there's precedent for that sort of weirdness anyway, but... I just want to go back to another point you made about how the sort of Star Trek design style is all informed by the Constitution class, but I think that only applies to Federation ships. All the the ships, uh, alien ships, tend to be different. I mean, the ships of the week all tend to be sort of generic and boxy and forgettable, but for the iconic species like the Cardassians and the Ferengi and the uh, the the Jem'Hadar and, and species like that. They tend to have warp nacelles, but other than that, they can be at the top, they can be at the bottom. The Ferengi ship is, I, I almost, it almost made my list just because it's, it's cool looking, but it definitely doesn't follow the Constitution well, style. That's true. I wasn't thinking that later into the series. I was thinking mostly like classic and movie stuff. Like, like yeah, by the time you get to Deep Space Nine, you're like, you're dealing with all, like, they have a much higher budget for models. Like, let's be fair. Right. some real life things happening there. But like back in the day, it was, you know, it was just variants of the Enterprise or, I mean, or the Klingon battlecruiser, which let's face it, is a variant on the Enterprise. Um, and in, man, in the original Balance of Terror, do we see the Romulan Bird of Prey? Is that where we first see that model? I think so. Uh, I didn't yeah. do a ton of research on it because I knew it wasn't going to make my list. But I yeah, I let's think... like, like let's be clear: the Klingon bird of prey didn't make my list, but it's way better than the <laughs> Romulan bird of prey. Although that thing is the laziest I have to say, design. Yes, it's just like what a dish with with engines on it and a and a cool sticker, and an eagle painted on the yeah. bottom. Yeah, <laughs> but I have to say, even knowing objectively that it's a lame looking ship, it was very cool to see it again in Picard and in, in Star Trek Picard in that one yeah it was shot. a fun tribute to have it back I wish they'd done more with it they but anyway that's like, like neither here nor there yeah for a different yeah. podcast different podcast um, I don't know I just I mean I understand the Klingon Bird of Prey's role it makes sense to me but I'm just 
you know what? I would love to see like a modern refit of it where it didn't look just goofy or it didn't. It looks a little too much like a Star Wars ship, maybe. I just I'd like to see a sleek version of it. Well, they, there have been some modern versions of it done for. Uh, I think you might see one in disco, but you definitely see one in uh, the the newer movies. The uh, oh yeah, the JJ movies, Calvin, the JJ but, ones, and yeah, they look those yeah totally different and and uglier. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't interested in JJ's ship designs. Yeah, but, uh, sorry, JJ Abrams. <laughs> I'm sure he's uh, real broken up about it. Yeah, keeping him up at night, I'm certain. Crying into his money. <laughs> I don't know, man. Agree to disagree. I just, I, I get it. I respect it, but eh, eh. All right, let's hear your number two. My number two was the Klingon battle cruiser, and I looped them together. The D seven or Katinga class, right? Which, I mean, apparently, the, the even the name D7 didn't become canon until the Deep Space Nine Trouble Tribbles episode. It's it's in some, like, script stuff, I think. I don't think we ever hear it on screen. Um, real hardcore Star Trek nerds will tell you that these are two different ships. Um, and they're really not. The D7 refers to the Klingon battlecruiser in Star Trek's The Original Series. And then they built a new model of it for the movies. They made it look a little cooler. And they decided to give it, like, the in-universe explanation of, like, oh, yeah, this is a new ship. That was the D7. This is the Katinga. No, they're the same ship. It's the Klingon battlecruiser. Um, it's my number two just because it is the like it was the perfect evil enterprise, I thought. Um, it was designed by a guy named Matt Jeffries. He, he said he designed it to mimic the appearance of a manta ray. So it has these sort of spread wings that go down into the nacelles. And then the neck of it, it has this long, thin neck that ends in a bridge and torpedo tube. So that basically this entire ship looks like a gun that's pointed at you at all times. I like just want to say, ultimate. jump in, Matt Jeffries, the uh, the the namesake of the Jeffries tubes uh, for you hardcore Trekkies. Yeah, 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 you yeah. had to crawl through a lot to get that fact, did you? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah well, uh, no, it, that was good. That was good. Okay. All right. Thank you. Um, the design, like there is, like the design between the two different models. It's like the forward section is less sort of bulbous in the movie one, and the Katinga and the bridge is a little different. The nacelles are a little different. But it's the same look, just with these cool spread like wings, whereas the Enterprise just had, you know, these like you know, toothpicks on sticks, and just this and this big gun pointed right at your face. It just it screams bad guy in a classic way that I think it just does really well. Yeah, it's it's got these pointy edges to it. It doesn't look safe. It's got this neat head on it that, that's got uh, the, the sort of frog bulbous chin the circular bottom to it and then uh, the pointy top there's there's a lot to like about it it didn't rank as high for me because it's just grey and sort of boring but for an original series ship it's very iconic and, and it, it stands out it's the only it's the only original series ship that's not the Enterprise that I can think of, and I think it, other than you know the, as the previously discussed uh, Romulan ship that didn't quite, yeah, that we weren't rank. even sure actually was in the original release or not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the heck with that. No, this is a really like this informs the design I think of all the other Klingon ships and of bad guy ships in Star Trek in general. And I, and I think they know that because you see this ship a lot. Like, even outside, like you said, in the original series, it's only in a few episodes. But it shows up a lot in the movies. And then it shows up again in Deep Space Nine. And it one shows up in an episode of Voyager, because why the hell not? And in the, the, the most recent season of Discovery, the, a prequel Star Trek series, a semi-major plot point is the Klingons inventing the D7. At the climactic battle, a bunch of them appear at a, like... You know, Gandalf riding over the hills with the Rohirrim moment. And there are all these D7 classic Klingon battlecruisers appear and start shooting the bad guys. And it's amazing. And, and they're not classic yet. So they're you know, top of the line. They're the, the new hotness when they show up in that. Yeah, exactly. And when you see them, it just screams the Klingon Empire is here, right? Like, I, I, I would totally buy it if the Klingon Empire had a flag with this ship design on it. Like, that's how close the two of them are tied together. 
I, I, and, and their like the martial philosophy just reflects in this so well. It's like, yeah, we're Klingons. We're going to build a ship. What's the ship going to be? It's going to be a big rifle. And I guess we have to put some engines on it so it'll fly. <laughs> like, yeah, it, it just it works for me, and it sets up this whole thing. And, you know, I had the Negvar earlier on my list. Like, the Negvar is a giant, bulky D7. Yeah. Right? It, they, they it both... shows its heritage. Yeah. And and the ship in between them, like the Next Generation era ship is the Vorcha, which is a D7, but with mandibles and more yeah. of a Federation-esque nacelles. Like, that's the design that works that they stick with, and it all started with this thing. I do want to add... I mean, I do agree with you, like, the basic design of it, like, the basic gray, especially from the original series, is really uninteresting, but that's, like, a 60s thing. It, it looks like an unpainted model. Yes, yes, it does, exactly. It gets some lights in Star Trek The Motion Picture. Uh, it gets a little better when we see the, the like, the flagship, Kronos 1, the flagship in Undiscovered Country. They add a few more lights to it, but it's still not very interesting. Um, in a lot of spin-off products, like like comic books or video games and such, it gets the more sort of modern Klingon green and wings painted on it, and it really helps. It really makes it look a lot cooler. I mentioned the video game Klingon Academy earlier. For obvious reasons, you spend a lot of time with Klingon battlecruisers, and just that extra layer of paint really contributes a lot. And you can see that like in like models of the ship that you can buy. Like Some of them are the classic gray, but some of them have the more Klingon green look to it. And it just... It, that, it does suffer because of that paint job, but they obviously know that and they've addressed it wherever they could. And it makes a big difference. It really makes the ship look a lot cooler. Okay, I hear you. I still think you've got that ranked pretty high for for what we've discussed. I can't believe it outranks my number one on your <laughs> list. <laughs> is that a is that a good uh, thing to move on? Should we segue? Let's do it. All right. So, following that logic, your number one was the Borg Cube. Indeed, it was because it's. Oh the, man! <laughs> to me, it's the especially in the early going, and I know. Voyager has discussed kind of ruins some things for us and and the Borg is one of the big hallmarks of Voyager ruining things but in the early <laughs> going the Borg cube is the perfect marriage of ship design and story you know what like like once you know what the Borg are you realize the ship is the perfect example of of what the Borg uh, are going for it's uniform it's it's got these clean edges it's it's imposing it's scary and it's it just wants everything to be like it it's this big it's it is exactly what it is it's called it's a cube it's a big square and it's it's so scary every time it shows up and i know there's other things that that factor into that like the music and the way it's shot but it is one of the few ships that that is just chilling to look at because it's so it's not trying to be impressive it's not trying to scare you with its design or or with its paint job it just is functional and what its function is is scary it's it's going to eat up everything in its path that's why it's number one for me I buy it. I, I I totally agree with you on the the merging of form and function. Like like this is a species so powerful, they don't need to build ships to be aerodynamic or have cool engines or anything. They just they just need to occupy a volume of space to get from A to B. And so they picked the simplest, you know, the simplest space they could. They picked a cube and they just built like walls around a space. And the fact that it has no discernible stuff, like it's all decentralized, it makes it really creepy because you don't. Like, you don't really know what it's doing, because you can't see... Like, you know, you don't see it lighting up when it's about to shoot you. It just... Like, weapons you can't even just tell, come out of it. Yeah, yeah, you can't even tell where the weapons are. You know, we talked about on the, the Bird of Prey, how there are these guns and the torpedo mouth of it. This doesn't bother with any of that. It's not going to try and scare you. It's just going to destroy you. Hey, I mean, sometimes they aren't even weapons, right? Like, in the in the part one of Best of Both Worlds, it's not even... Like, they say it's not a gun, it's a cutting beam. It's like a tool. Like, right. they don't need awesome laser cannons to fight you. You're nothing. Like, they just start cutting into the ship the way you'd cut into a stake. And they that say... Gets, I that think gets that, dropped a little later, but it's, yeah. it's still a really cool 
I think in that same episode they say that something like 75% of it could be inoperable and the ship would still function because there's so many redundancies and just the shape of it. It's like there's no head to cut off. There's no engines to shoot. It just, the whole thing is always functioning. There's always just, some part yeah. of it that's still going. The whole thing just is. Yeah, and and going back to where you're talking about the aerodynamics, so much of ship design in Star Trek and pretty much every other facet of sci-fi, they're all based on planes to some extent or other terrestrial sort of uh, uh, ship designs or, or vehicle design. This is a great example of what you can do in space because there is no air. There's no resistance. There's no need to, to make it so that it has to fly. It just... It, it can be any shape that you need it to be, and it'll still go. It'll still work, because that's how space works. And that gets forgotten sometimes, and rightly or wrongly, in when you're doing fictional space stories, because you want it to look cool, and you want people to think it's neat. Yeah, you want people to buy the toys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And look, I don't know that I... Well, I do want a board cube toys. I was going to say, I don't know if I want one, but it's... Of course you do. Of course I do. It's so cool, and so unique, and so... Purely Borg. I agree with you on all of that. I see why it's your number one. I don't fault that. It's number three on my list. Because all of that is true. But at the end of the day, it is just a cube. And while it's awesome in concept, the longer that like they had to play with it, I think the more it highlight that there's really not much that you can do with that. Right, the way the way that people who make Star Trek decided to go is they decided to add other geometric shapes to the Borg. Right. Right. In first contact, we see the Borg sphere, and we're just kind of like, oh, okay, sure. And then by Voyager, you've got like the diamond, yeah, and, and it's just, or that and, tactical and, cube where they just slap other crap on it. Yeah, for no, just to show like like yeah, no, this is a cube. It's even it's even worse than the last cube. <laughs> Uh, no, I think at the end, like it is perfect for the Borg. It is like I am not faulting that in any way, but it is not. It, it is not an interesting design. Like I would love to have a model of a Borg cube because it is the Borg cube. I don't have one because there are cooler spaceships that I do have models of. I have this amazing model of the Defiant that my wife had like commissioned for me. Because the Defiant is an awesome-looking ship. Yes. The cube makes perfect sense, but it's not an awesome-looking ship. Like, I, you know, it's number three. My number two is the Klingon Battlecruiser because I like the look of it. I just, I admire the design of that ship, and you can't do that with a box. <laughs> <laughs> I think another thing that, that, if I'm being objective, that hurts it as far as storytelling stuff goes is that it, it shows up in Picard, and when we saw it in the trailers, I think every Star Trek fan was excited about it. And then it oh, didn't... yeah, it was, it was wasted in Picard. Yeah, we yeah, yeah we've talked about that in our check that out our a, a few episodes back. We did a review of the first season of Picard, and they completely wasted the Borg storyline. Yeah, and the more I thought about it, it's like especially listening to clips where they talk about it in Best of Both Worlds and in Q Who. It's it's just this intimidating ship that can do anything and destroy anything. And there's this amazing opportunity to use it in Picard, where they're in this final confrontation, and there's a Borg cube that's on the planet. They crash that Borg cube there, and it's like, why why even have this thing if you're not going to use it in a big fight? Ah, so disappointing. I hear you. We should uh, we should move on, but before we do, quick question for you: There are not counting Voyager because <laughs> there are two sort of distinct look to the Borg cubes. There's sort of the next generation TV Borg cube, which is sort of the the, the black Borg cube covered in greeblies, I guess. And then there's the movie and like post first contact cube where they've added sort of the green glows to it. Do you right. have a preference? Um, I. I think I prefer the the basic one, the the next generation one, where it's just this mostly black cube. the The green is a nice touch, and and I think especially in first contact, it makes it, it's an, a, a sickly green that makes them sort of scarier and more zombie like. But ultimately, it doesn't make sense for the the story of the Borg. The the characters that they are it doesn't make sense why would they, they have green lights yeah yeah so just it's, go with the basic black 
I, I I ask specifically because I can't decide. Like I do, I do think it looks cooler. Like I like when they give the Borg like starship architecture that like creepy green. But I also understand it makes absolutely no sense, and that it's purely an aesthetic thing. So I go back and forth. Right. Um, but I hear what you're saying about basic black. All right. So what's your number one? I yeah, think I yeah. can guess. <laughs> Yeah, my number one is the Romulan Warbird, the Dideridex, the, the the Star Trek, the next generation Romulan Warbird. Might be, it's, God, I love that ship so much. It's hard to, it's Sophie's Choice, which is my favorite Star Trek ship of all time, but that is a contender. And you had it down at what, four? Uh, I had it at three. So we yeah, swapped three. our threes, right? Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> Nah, the, like we talked about the Romulan Bird of Prey, mostly disparagingly. Uh, when it came time to build the Romulans into Star Trek The Next Generation, like the designers went, like they looked back at it and they were like, okay, well this stupid ship was called a Bird of Prey because it had an eagle painted on it. Let's actually make a ship that looks like cool and sleek, like a bird. And the result of this thing is... I mean, it looks sleek and intimidating and kind of... Like, we recognize it as looking avian, and it gives us this impression that it's, like, you know, gliding through the air. The front of it is definitely a beak shape. Like, it's got sort of, like, that drooping nose. And then it pulls back, and it's got sort of two separate hulls. Like, if you think of, like, the spread wingspan of a bird, imagine two birds flying, like, upside down, like, belly to belly, and their wingtips touching. But that's only one head. Well, yeah, only one head. But like, but that's what the whole of it looks like, and it gives it this really cool combination of this cool avian predatory look, but also this weird alien ship, right? Like the ship has a big hole in the middle. Yeah. And like it. I, I will. So here's. Let me. May I interrupt for a moment? Go for it. So it doesn't really, it doesn't rank as high for me because I can't think of a lot of specific stories around them that I really love. It, there, there aren't, there, there's no, to me, especially iconic moments, except for the opening cutscene of Star Trek Armada, where Worf <laughs> flies the Defiant yeah. through the middle of that warbird, completely disregarding any shields or whatever, and, and shoots it up from the inside of it, and that like I, I watched that opening cutscene so many times because that moment is just beautiful. It's so cool and so not Star Trek at that point. I, Deep Space Nine <laughs> got to do some cool ship fighting, but most of the time when you see a warbird in uh, Next Generation, it decloaks, sort of sidles into view, and then they just sit and stare at each other, and then they cloak and fly away, and it's... There's just they don't, I don't get know, to do man. much. Like I, I'll argue, like that's a like that's a next generation problem, not a Romulan Warbird problem. They couldn't like Definitely. next generation space battles are a lot of the models hanging there, and then somebody <laughs> drawing lasers between the two because that's all they could. But the right. moments when the I mean, the first, like, we see it for the first time at the end of season one, and that's kind of cool. But the moments where it's a surprise, I'm thinking, like, in the episode with the defector, the whole episode yeah. is, is this guy trying to lure them into a trap or not? He's telling them about the secret base. They go to the planet, no secret base. Oh, holy crap, let's turn around to get out of here. They turn around, and then the two warbirds decloak right on top of right in front of the Enterprise. It's always, oh, man. The, the opening to the episode, the Geordi episode, he's on the shuttlecraft, he's trying to keep himself busy, and then out the view screen, you see the Romulan warbird appear. Yeah. And it takes him a sec. Like, we see it before he does. Like, the Romulan warbird, when it appears, always has this sense of, of dread, because that is a badass-looking ship. I would just argue that it, it doesn't get a chance to live up to that dread. It is a dread not an OT because it never wah, fulfills wah. its dread. Very myself out. Yeah, very nice. Ah, man, I just I I mean I agree. I wish you could see them in action more. Uh, I think the most you probably see is probably the Deep Space Nine episode, the two-parter, where the Tal Shiar and the Obsidian Order bomb the. Well, they think they're bombing the Dominion homeworld. Yeah, we see a, sort of a lesser scale, big galactic battle of that. But they show up a few times in the Dominion War and be awesome. Um, I just, I, I, it just, it's so intimidating. And it, one of the, like, this is one of the few times I'll mention this kind of thing when I'm talking about ships. But I also like the interior. 
Like, the the interior of the ship feels really Romulan, the way, like, you talked about the inside of the Bird of Prey being really Klingon. Yeah. Like, the, the interior of the ship, it's, like, it's all beige and green, but it's, it's like, like, everything narrows around you. Like, it's like you're walking through, like, a hexagon turned the wrong way. Like, it feels like it's closing in on you from all sides. Like, it's very paranoia-inducing, well, super a- Romulan. One of the things I, I was reading about this is they, they the bridge design of it changed a lot. Like, every time it appeared, there was kind of oh, a yeah. new bridge design. But I think it was for Face of the Enemy, the episode where Troy gets sort of against her will, turned into a spy, uh, and is implanted on a Romulan ship. Uh, in the script, the way they wrote it the, was that the captain's seat for it would be back against the back wall of the bridge so they could see everything going on around them that no one could sneak up on them and i thought that was a really cool idea that was so romulan but it didn't quite end up happening on screen yeah yeah that that works perfectly it's just it's too bad they didn't do that right. like, all the time <laughs> because the bridge set for that ship kept getting thrown out completely reused the first time we see the bridge of the romulan warbird like it's the captain and someone else sitting side by side yeah like driver <laughs> passenger <laughs> yeah yeah exactly it looks super I'll, I'll grant you that that looks super goofy um, but I don't know the, the the like just the huge intimidating every time it shows up it's like it, it's it's an oh shit and I love that like, like I, I remember when I was a kid I always wanted to try and find the light and sound Romulan Warburg mm. like I had the Enterprise D and I had the Klingon battle cruiser and I could never find the Romulan Warbird and then when I got older I looked on eBay and there's only like four of them left in the world and they're five hundred dollars <laughs> and I don't like it that much. <laughs> But it's a good it's a good mix of like of making you feel a certain way about something, but also looking completely alien. And I, I just I mean we've been we've talking about it for ten minutes now. We've never once brought up the fact that like if you have two separate hulls, like what if you're at the top of the top one and you want to get to the bottom of the bottom one, you have to go all the way around the ship. Like it doesn't make any sense. A lot of transporters. The site it's, to not, site. it's not terribly practical. <laughs> But it's just, it's a neat-looking ship. I, I really appreciate the design of it. I really think it's really unique and really special. Uh, and that's why it was my number one. And if and I guess we're looking at this in two different things, because you picked the least special ship to be your number one. <laughs> so, I, I hey, definitely went different for more strokes a, for different folks. I definitely went for more story-based reasons where I could, I think. Yeah, I, I guess that's fair. Did you want to hit honorable mentions? Yeah. You mentioned you had something that fell off your list. Well, it's because I realized I it's I think I was sort of thinking of this as like non-Federation ships at first, and then I realized if we're going with alien ships, this wouldn't count. But I the La Serena really grew on me over the course of Picard. No kidding, the Picard Millennium Falcon. Yeah, huh. I mean you're right. I wouldn't count that as an alien ship at all. <laughs> no, no, but, but a non-federation but, ship, at least at the beginning, at the end. But what it's sort about of it? Big. What about it? Do you like? I mean, it's. I like the paint it, job. It, it definitely doesn't feel like a Star Trek ship, and that I, I, I don't know if that takes points away from it or adds to it because it's not supposed to be a Star Trek ship. But it's just, I, I like the design of it. I, I, I didn't end up doing much research on it because I got scrapped. But it just, I think it was also the fact that it was such a constant presence on the show and ended up being so important in the finale and I know we were, had a lot of mixed feelings about Picard but something about the, the intimateness of it where everyone's really close seemingly and the, the ship is small but feisty I, I like it it's definitely got a Star Wars feel to it. it it definitely does but I just I don't know it just seems so unremarkable to me I just it never occurred to me to consider that for for any kind of a list. Now, for, I, for you, I have to say I am shocked that the scimitar didn't make the list. I really don't like the scimitar. Really, I thought that really? the the ship battles were your favorite part of Star Trek Nemesis. They are, but that's not a high bar. <laughs> That's Fair like, enough. Y- y- you know, the peanut butter is my favorite part of a peanut butter and shit sandwich. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Like, oh boy! <laughs> uh, no, that I, where I, we're at. No, it's the the scimitar. I didn't like. That's this is the the big bad guy ship from Star Trek Nemesis, um, the 
movie where the bad guy is Tom Hardy playing a clone, a younger clone of Picard. Yeah. Listen, you try to figure out what this movie's about, it falls apart pretty fast. But out of nowhere, he is able to, ma- he just magically has this this giant arse warship. Uh, frankly, it would fit in exactly with the J.J. timeline, I think. Like In, in the first J.J. Star Trek, when the Romulans have that weird half-Borg freighter thing, that's where I think the scimitar is. It, it was just a big, ugly, like it had the wings. Yeah, the, the wings were like Coming, but but then its face is just like it. It literally look, looks like the nose of like a Volvo or something, with a bunch of crap stuck on it for no reason. I don't know. I, I didn't like that. I didn't like the scimitar. Um, while we're talking honorable mentions and talking Star Trek Nemesis, I do like the new Romulan warbirds from that movie. The Valdor, right, is sort of a. It takes the Romulan warbird design and simplifies it kind of. It gives it like a smaller, sleeker beak, and then just one pair of wings. Instead of the two meeting around an empty space, it's less interesting, but it makes it, it. It looks exactly like a bird with a huge wingspan and flight, and I think they look pretty. I think they look pretty sleek. Uh, yeah. It's not worth watching the movie for, but it's it's neat. <laughs> They're a little more generic than than your traditional warbird. Yeah, which is fine because they're not on the screen for very much. They, there's a plot point where the scimitar has the Enterprise like in a, in a tight spot, and then two Romulan warbirds show up to save the day, and then the scimitar disables both warbirds. <laughs> yep. Yep, <laughs> that movie, man, that movie. Ugh. But yeah, so no, honorable mentions. Um, I, I got one more, and the, the reason it didn't quite make the list is because I don't know that it really qualifies as a ship, but the planet killer from the Doomsday Machine episode of the original series was, was pretty neat looking. Eh, yeah, big space worm. Yeah, That's fair. big mouth. Yeah, I was also considering the 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 eight four seven two bio ship from the right. Scorpion episode of Voyager. Um, it's unique looking. It doesn't look like a Star Trek ship. It's it's got a weird sort of arrangement with a weird nose. Um, but I think again that has more to do with just the species and the design of the ship itself. Doesn't matter. Honorable mentions, but uh, that's our list. The top of our list, the Borg Cube and the Romulan Warbird. I think those are both pretty cool. Like, we can agree. I'd watch that fight. Disagree a little. Yeah, exactly. That's another good thing Star Trek Armada was for. That's neither here nor there. That's for our Star Trek video games list, which I feel like would be a much shorter list. Yeah. Yeah, there's not a lot of good Star Trek video games, unfortunately. In any case, is there something we didn't consider? Are you a big fan of the Andorian warship? I don't know. Maybe. Somebody maybe. out there must be. Galler-class Cardassian ship? That could make a list. Yeah. There, there could be all kinds of things we missed. Uh, we'd love to hear about it. We know that some of you occasionally have very passionate responses to our list. Um, we're happy to hear them and consider them for inclusion in future episodes. If you want to let us know, Graham, how can they get a hold of us? Please email us at geektop5 at gmail.com. We also are on Facebook at facebook.com slash geektop5. And we're on Twitter at geektop5. So looking forward to hearing from you. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in. And while we're giving out special thanks, would be remiss not to mention Jamie Reum, our musician-in-chief. Um, check him out if you can. We don't get to cover cool, geeky music stuff on this show a lot. He's the place to go for that. Uh, Reum is spelled R-E-A-U-M-E. You can find him on YouTube at Jamie Reum Official, on Instagram at Jamie underscore Reum. And he's also one of the brains behind the recently launched TriviaSchmivia.com. Um, if you remember, before the dark times, before the Empire, you could go to pubs and bars and they'd host Trivia Night. Now they can do it over Zoom, and Jamie does a great job sort of performing and hosting those sorts of things. Uh, You can get involved in league play if you take it super serious, or just arrange it for sort of a corporate event, or just fun for your friends. Uh, I cannot stress, he is unsettlingly, unusually good at this sort of thing. It's worth checking out, triviashmivia.com. But that'll keep you busy uh, until we talk to you again next week. So until then, I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And this has been Geek Top 5. We'll talk to you again soon.